and welcome to the 9-1-B Praised. I'm Jack. And I'm Joe. Joe, it's been 50 years. <laughs> I feel like we're celebrating our own 60th anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> we're back, baby! <laughs> I feel like um, uh, not. To, uh, I'm not not to preempt what we're talking about too early. But you know that bit where what's his name and the time monster ages. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like I've just got like all this white hair all of a sudden. I mean, realistically, it's been what nine months. Yeah. Yeah. About nine months. It would be because um, we released um, the Nymon commentary. Which, you know, in theory, if that was to be the end of it, that is actually for us, that's like a season finale right there. That's like the finale of us. They finally do the Nine Be uh, the actual Nine Won't Be Praised. However, very happy to be back here. But yes, that was in, I think that was in early October. Yeah. Um, because I remember that because um, we were watching Nine Won't Be Praised and you said on the commentary, um uh when we were recording like oh they're probably going to release the season 17 box set next and then it was an officially announced the next day and then um, it came out and now we've watched it and now it's old hat <laughs> yeah i know i i practically at this rate the only thing we haven't done is sell nymon merch <laughs> <laughs> give it time give it yeah, time did, didn't, we, didn't we have vague plans of doing that at one point uh, yeah, no, there's those like Redbubble and things like that where you oh, can. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fabulous artwork. Oh, my God. I swear to God, we could put it on underpants and t shirts. Yeah, that's, that's right. Nine on underpants. That's right. The you and me chatting on someone's crotch, I'm sure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I That is exactly how every episode goes down. Um, I've got a question for you, though. Um, well, what's occurred in the last nine months? You go first and then I'll hit you with mine. Oh my god! Um, uh, uh, let's let's run through. Uh, I changed jobs, which was very, which was a bit of a roller coaster, as as you know. I'm not going to get into the full details of that, but it was a bit of a wild time, hopping from one job to another. Um, uh, I'm very happy in my new job. Very busy. Uh, lots of emails. There was a tweet I saw on. <laughs> I was about to say a tweet I saw on Twitter, but where else would you see it from? Um, <laughs> there was a tweet I saw, which was. Um, uh, at any given time, there are about five emails trying to kill me. And that's how I feel on most days. But um, yeah, so I, I did a new job. Uh, uh, sorry, I started a new job. Um, uh, Christmas happened. Big woohoo for Christmas. Um, uh, the, I, I was doing a play. Um, at, uh, I, did two, I did two plays in between the last time on podcast. And this one, uh, I did uh, one for a local theatre group. And I did, um, uh, I was in a production of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, The Dead by Tom Stoppard, where I wore, as you probably remember, an enormous wig. Um, Terrifying wig, honestly. That's right. But the, see, but the thing was, is that so many people thought that was my actual hair. There was um, on, <laughs> on the preview night, no, on the preview night, there was a woman really? who I'd never met before who came up to me. And all she said to me was, best wig i ever saw and then she walked off um that's good feedback <laughs> yeah i know i know i was just like you know what i i don't want much i just want to know if the wig was good um and it was a hell of a wig mm. um and yes i uh have continued working uh i'm doing another play and then i'm doing another play after that and then i'm apparently i think i'm doing something a week after that play ends so too much theatre, too much full-time work. God, being an adult is very exhausting, Joe. But then again, I'm, I'm sure I'm not a proper adult. Not really. Oh, you're a Doctor Who fan. You never grow up. <laughs> did, did nobody teach you this? 
I, uh, I, well, last I time I spoke to you, I was doing night shifts. Now I'm doing day mm-hmm. shifts again. So I've got my life uh, back. So that's very jolly. Congratulations. Um, I, I have embarked on possibly the most terrifying thing that a human being can embark on. If you're and a what's that? fan. Uh, a relationship with another Doctor Who fan. Um, <laughs> winging his way here in a couple of weeks. With the entire collection of bloody Big Finish CDs. I know. I feel like a relationship with a Doctor Who fan is a is to be in a constant state of a, like a high risk, high reward situation. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> yeah, it, it will. You know, all all you have to do is say you know one wrong opinion about one Doctor Who story, and it all it's like a house of cards, and all comes crumbling down. I'll just say one thing about this whole endeavor that I'm about to embark mm. on, and that is yes. When someone slides into your DMs, be bloody careful, all right? It could change your life. That's right. That's right. And they might end up doing a podcast with you. All right. And also, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't say that. Oh, no, you know me. I'll just say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you suspect is going on in a Doctor Who convention, you're absolutely right. Okay? I've learned that since the last time I spoke to you as well. Yeah, that's that's um, yeah. I, I I learned that as well, and I was uh, shocked, and also shocked that I wasn't surprised. Uh, <laughs> hey, I didn't say me. I just said I no, learned no, it was going no, on. no, 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 no. I di- I wasn't saying you. I was saying the sordid tales you left with. No, no, it's it's a very exciting time. Uh, lots of big life changes. Lovely. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I think hmm. we're certainly planning on making oud bread from the Doctor Who cookbook. Pretty imminently. What what is oud bread? Well, it's bread shaped like an oud. Oh, I see. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was like bread with like spaghetti on it for like. Yeah, the, you um... sort of carve out the the little tendrils and things. Oh, it looks fabulous. Oh. Yeah. Have you done Don't that I, yet? Oh, no, I'll tweet a picture. You know, it ain't moved in yet. It's a couple of weeks. Oh, I see. I, I, I is is this is this your like fiftieth? Is that your next project to do like every single recipe in the Doctor Who cookbook? Actually. I should say, since the last time I spoke to you, I've had another mm. podcast come out. <laughs> called, yeah, I know. <laughs> called Untitled Star Trek Project uh, with Nathan Bottomley and um, a YouTube channel start called Finish Big, which is uh, cataloging the entirety of Big Finish, the whole lot. I mean, can you even imagine? I'll be doing it till I'm fucking senile. That's right. Next thing you'll be telling me is that you're reviewing every single book that's ever been published, every comic that's ever been done. Someone tweeted me the other day and went, oh, Joe, when are we doing the Buffy the Vampire podcast? Suck it. Honestly. <laughs> See, you, you say that. I say, sorry, hang on. <laughs> Someone tweeted me. You know Who's that woman? Job? You know that mm-hmm. woman who was interviewed who goes, oh, really? Not another one? You must have seen her. <laughs> when the finished big YouTube channel came out, that's all I got was that. <laughs> Well, another one. Have you oh seen my that? God. I have not seen that. Oh but... my god, it's so funny. It's a woman outside her house, and it's about a, a snap election, and she just looks at the camera and goes, "Oh, good God, really? Not another one?" Oh, that? No, I yeah. have seen that. I thought oh, you meant like an old. That's, <laughs> that's about you... me and my the, my latest venture in my little <laughs> podcast YouTube. Oh no, there. not another one. <laughs> At this point, I feel like every new project you start is just accompanied by a pic- that picture of Nicholas Courtney with an arched eyebrow going, well, here we go again. Well, that's Lucy McCall for you. I'll say this, though. It all mm-hmm. started here, didn't it? That, you, that's you right. And, you, and you saying to me, well, who's going to want to listen to us? Quite I, a few I, people, by all accounts. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I famous, famous. I guess famous first words. I suppose since they weren't the last, there were many more words after that. Um, and yes, I, I, I maintain, I maintain people listen to you because you're the one oh, with you're the one with so many projects. Rubbish. I maintain this though. Yeah. All right. Big sweeping life changes in my life. Had you said no. <laughs> to us doing the life. I'm holding you personally responsible for all the life changes in my Oh my life. God. The number be praised was literally your turn left moment. It was. It literally changed <laughs> everything. So it made connections with people and stuff out. And here we are. So That's I'm blaming right. you. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you, you heard it here first. This is everything that has happened is my fault. Um, Jack. Mm. Well, now we've been a little self-indulgent talking about our lives for the last 10 minutes but this is what That's we do on this thing why are we yeah. really here today um we are here to open a new series of the nine on praise you know i've got the giant scissors here you know we're cutting the ribbon um mm -hmm. and we are here uh specifically to talk about would you say underrated or undervalued stories either or mm. mine is uh, both so uh, underrated and under or and or undervalued stories um so we're doing this as like a, as a new kind of like we might do this like once a season might we yeah where um we might do sorry what, what, what we're gonna do is in this one i feel like i'm like, I'm like explaining like a game show or something yeah, so on. for this one fingers on buzzers <laughs> um um uh which underrated story is this ah that's uh, the sea devils um which underrated story did Simon Pegg tweet, uh, Peg tweet out after the episode went out that only a string of garlic paste is between the monster of the titular monster and the little kitty wings watching at home? Was it um, was it the big finished story Cobwebs written by Jonathan Morris? It was not. No, oh, but it's a big story I'm talking about. Oh well, there are famously so many spider stories in Doctor Who. There is a couple in there. There is a few. Are there? Well, Planet oh, of Spiders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> oh, um, hail the I... great one. Oh, hail. Oh, yes. I, that's a that's a billion parter that I need to revisit at some point. <laughs> um, uh, yes. So we're talking about underrated and undervalued stories and all. Mm. And uh, the way this format is going to work is that we will talk about an underrated classic story and an underrated new series story mm. and originally we were going to do two each so i would talk about you know one of us would talk about an underrated classic story and an underrated new series story but i i think i just flat out just said i don't have time to watch four doctor who stories um and then so i can only watch two and then obviously ended up choosing a six-parter to watch so i clearly have no self-respect but yes um joe is doing the new series story and i think you already assuming people haven't read the title of this podcast um you've already alluded to what the story is because it isn't planet of the spies it is uh, it is the ever popular and top 10 lister arachnids in the uk from Ooh. the meteorically successful series 11 of the jody Whitaker right. era. wahoo my favorite um is there another spider story Planet of Spiders, Arachnids in the UK. As you said. Cobwebs, yeah. Oh, yeah, what about um, Kill the Moon? It's got a load of spiders, isn't it? That's right, that's right. Okay, here's a fun little game for you. 
how would you rank the the three big spider stories? Oh my! Um, Kill the Moon, Planet of Spiders, Arachnids in the UK at the top. Oh, okay. I, I thought you were going in descending order. <laughs> and I need to say before we even start, I am unapologetic in my love for this episode. Okay, and it's one that I, you and I talked about when it first came out. And it's one that I was a bit unsure about at the time. And every time I watch it now, I love it more and more and more. And it's just gone up and I, up and up. I did tell, because I, um, I was out with drinks, having drinks with friends the other night. And um, it was actually with Rohan, because Rohan was, um, well, I guess of the podcast, Rohan. Um, and he was asking, he's like, ah, oh, what are you recording the next Naimon on? And I was like, ah, oh, underrated story. He's like, ah, oh, what are you going to do? And I was like, ah, oh, I'm doing but i'll wait my turn to, to say what my story is um and uh, they're like oh i had never heard of that and uh, <laughs> and then arachnids in the uk and everybody there who was a doctor who fan was like is he insane <laughs> <laughs> it's like and there was like this collector like oh no not arachnids in the uk i've become famous in my other podcast for being uh air quotes fucking contrary but i'm not being contrary when i say i really love the story I mean, should we do this one first? We're already talking about it. Yeah, I probably. I um, I'll, I'll introduce my one, and then we'll get cool. going. I, what I will say is that you say you're not being contrarian, but I bet you don't mind being called contrarian for liking a record in the no, UK. Honestly, well, every yeah, time my chest all. pumps out a bit more when I'm called contrary. Yeah, yeah, with your big spider-shaped heart. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I've been calling Gary Russell my nemesis for the last um. 10 years and yeah i did a podcast with him last week so you know i guess i'm the most contrary man of all that's right that's right the next thing you'll be saying is that ah naimon is my least favorite podcast we're cancelling this now no this is my first love oh you never forget your first flame oh, that's, um, always, that's always been you jack that's right <laughs> um uh segueing into my choice i couldn't think of a clear segue from First flame to the time monster. The time. But, I mean, I'm fascinated to hear this because I've watched this this week, and I'll tell you what: self-indulgent. Don't begin to cover it. That again, you are 100% correct. Um, uh, there was a point where um, halfway through, and I, might, I feel like I'm just prefacing my argument now, uh, such as it is, because I'm basically going to find this as like go along. But I, I was enjoying it immensely, and I was also kind of like, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe the way to go about arguing about this is to say, maybe failure is good. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we should celebrate failure, you know? I mean, um, okay, you say failure, but both the Time Monster and Arachnids in the UK had pretty strong ratings, you know? So in terms mm. of, like, viewer reception... And the reviews that came out around the time, you know, Doctor Who was on a high um, mid Pertwee, and it certainly had been given a, re a new release of life ratings wise early Whitaker. I wouldn't, I mean, oh, you're just calling a failure sort of creatively or as a product. In a creative sense, I wasn't thinking in terms of viewings, um, oh, okay. but. But I'm I'm glad that you're finding parallels between these two stories because I couldn't find them. <laughs> no, there's not many. Yeah, I I what, what do you want What do you want to do first? Oh, let's do the time monster first. Come on, there's so much to. Oh about right. I was gonna I was gonna suggest maybe we just stop the the recording here and then put out a poll. 
We can't just put out 20 minutes of us being self-indulgent with no content. Yeah, that's right. I, 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 I feel like we've done that before. Maybe we have. Maybe we haven't. Anyway, sure, sure. Let's talk. Let's let Joe. Let's talk about the time monster. Okay. Well, it, it's not very good, is it? See, you say that. You say that. I think it. You know, it's not the best slice of Doctor Who in the world. However, it is. It is full of ideas. It is. If it's a story. Hmm. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say something which I don't necessarily have the chops to back up. Um, it strikes me as a story like the Web Planet, where you know, in execution, a lot of the stuff doesn't land as well as it should do. But there is a braver, and um, is that how you pronounce the word braver? Anyway, you mean braver? That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. See, what 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 where would I be without you? Um, bravo, yeah. Anyway, you know the word I mean. Uh, there's an ambition it, to it. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, essentially. There's an, okay. uh, there's a, a, an ambition to it. It, it. It's the final story in the season, isn't it? Do you know, I'd make an argument that it's the first season finale that Doctor Who put out, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, it feels like it. Mm. it, it uh, and, you know, generally speaking, I don't like six-parters. I like even with some of the best ones. Um, I by the time of episode five, I'm like, "Come on, folks, let's wrap this up." But this ain't uh, a six bar. This is a four part and a two bar. Yeah, pretty much. Which is why I like it. Um, it, it it's a very see the thing that I actually quite liked about the Time Monster is that it's 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 a story that just expands. It you know you start off with a very classical unit setup and admittedly. All the stuff at is it w- w- Wu Tat? Is that Wu-tat? the Tat? Is that the is that? <laughs> what are you talking about? Is that what's the institution the master's running? That he's dropped in on. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, it's just it's Cambridge. It's just Cambridge. Anyway, the latest uh, yeah. scientific establishment of the Pertwee era. Let's just call it that. That's right. Another another sort of secret scientific institution. Um, but, um, you know, you get your standard unit set up there, you know, the master's in disguise and he's doing, he's up to some mischievous scheme. And, and admittedly, that stuff is pretty bad. I, I will be honest. Um, that's the first four episodes. That's the, uh, mm, um, all the stuff in the lab is a bit, but then you, you, you get all the time stuff, you know, you, you bring, um, the high, is it the high priest? Is that his? Um, he, oh, he, Crassus, he, yeah. Crassus, yeah. Man, from the classical school of acting. That's right. Kronos, very, Kronos. Uh, yeah, it <laughs> was. Um, it was very. Uh, you know, so the back, the back of the, the audience can hear, just in case you're in the other rooms, you know, scrubbing the dishes. Um, but it's it, the story just has this this expanding scope, which I admire. You know. It's it's the first story that does the TARDIS materializing inside another TARDIS. Yeah, and do you know what? I, even though even those scenes are a bit self-indulgent, especially that bit where um, the master makes the doctor talk backwards, and he's like, But I did like all of that. I, that's a whole episode kind of on its own, isn't it? it yeah. The TARDIS and the TARDIS, and the, the two of them communicating, and the time ram and all of that. Yeah. I thought that all of that stuff was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it, it 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 sets up the kind of stuff that Legopolis starts playing with much later. Um, 
uh, and it, I, I, I swear the Time Monster is full of you know say what you will about it, and there is plenty to say about it and why it does not work. But I feel like it's full. It's full of stuff that the series actually retains. Like there's all like you know there's the um, uh, there's obviously the Tardises materializing inside each other. There's kind you know there's these kind of eternal god time gods mm. that exist outside of time, which is stuff that you know you, you get the Eternals later on, which I don't, which are different from from Kronos. <laughs> um, uh, but it's it's that <laughs> it's that kind of idea. Um, you know, you've got uh, you know you've got a little smith smithering of the doctor's backstory in there yeah um, yeah 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 um well that uh, comes back in planet of spiders in a big way because we get to meet that hermit that he's talking about that's right yeah they're properly right. they're properly setting up like um they've they set up this group of regulars haven't they so they're actually they're probably doing like not character arcs in the way that we understand it now but having a series of regulars in a fixed position where we're following their adventures from one story to another and we're actually yeah, yeah. building on those characters which is leading up to that climax in planet of the spiders which is far more thoughtfully plotted out than actually mm. you think yeah yeah 100 percent. and i the plotting in here you know it's a bit all over the place what about um, this? don't you love the bit i like don't you love the fact okay of using and this is i feel like something uh that moffat is behind is using time travel in the show yes and the way the master uses time as a weapon i really like that when he's bringing doodle bugs and roundheads back to take out unit i thought that was terrific yeah, 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 and, and you know they got the the German fighter craft dropping bombs mm. on on the unit squaddies. And That's it's, a cliffhanger, isn't it? Because you yeah, hear it the engine cut out, and he's like, "Captain Yates, Captain Yates." Yeah, yeah, and you see the explosion go off. Mm. And admittedly, and you know, it's a genuinely good cliffhanger in between. I think is it two cliffhangers, which are just the same cliffhanger, which is Kronos. <laughs> no, there's uh, one cliffhanger. <laughs> oh my God, you must have spotted this one cliffhanger where. The high priest appears in. I think it's the second one. He appears yeah. in the. Um, you know the master's companion. This the 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 old. Guy. Oh, the yeah yeah. yeah. He he goes. <laughs> he does this massive look of shock where he turns around. It's the most pantomimic thing you will ever see in a Doctor Who story. I oh, went back he... and watched it in slow motion because it was so funny. I, which is very, the idea of watching the time monster in slow motion, which is already full of so much slow-mo footage, is moi. Um, but yeah, that, that actor, when he dies, when Cross arrives and devours him, he's got a, he's got a, a big, he's got a, he's going out in a big way. He's leaving nothing on the field. You know, even in the early episodes where you've got the the window cleaner, you can know, you know, when Pat Gorman's going up the ladder, something's going to happen. Yeah, he goes down in slow motion and the master and all that. Uh, sorry, the brigadier running in slow motion. Like they're having fun with the idea of time and they don't really do that, do they? In classics? Yeah, yeah. It's it's playful in a way that I don't think Doctor Who is in the classic series, at least outside of a Douglas Adams script. Yeah. Um, uh, well, hang on. This was a Douglas Adams script. Yeah, man, a oh man. It would be so witty, wouldn't it? And the ideas would be even more sort of out there. Oh, for sure. Um, but, you know, it the, the whole... It's, look, it's not the best gag in the world, but the whole episode literally does end on a joke of... And it's a time travel joke where uh, 
Sergeant Benton has been <laughs> turned into a baby and then he's aged back up. That is like, I'm telling you now, that is like a cross between an ending of a Blake 7 episode because they did that all the time. Like Ava would make some terrible joke and they'd all go, ha 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 ha, and the camera would come away. Or <laughs> an episode of classic Star Trek where Spock, you know, would be like, oh, he'd say something serious and McCoy would take the piss out of him and the music would be like, doo, 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 doo. it was literally, and it's the only time Classic Who ever does this terrible end on a lamentable gag ending. Mm. Oh, uh, and my favourite was, you can definitely see, like, I think Pertwee and Manning are all right. Uh, uh, Nicholas Courtney is fine because he doesn't have to do much. He just, aside from looking disapproving and, oh, Sergeant Benton. But then you got... The- <laughs> Terrible. But you've got the you've got the two scientist characters who um <laughs> <laughs> oh um, can we hang on we need to talk about that pair all right yeah <laughs> Ruth and Stu oh goodness I I look I my my case was very much centered around not talking about them oh no but hang on I mean. The dialogue is pretty terrible. Like all that, all all hail the good ship, women's lib, and those who say yeah. I mean, that's the it, filthiest joke in Doctor Who ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does all, it does all really reek of ah, yes, we, you know, we're writing. It, it, it do you know? It, it occurred to me like all the stuff, all the kind of uh, attempt at fem- at feminism in the story. It struck me as the kind of stuff they would attempt to do later with Sarah Jane without a bit more finessing. It's only a little bit more finesse, but it is it, yeah. it's yeah, more yeah, subtle yeah. than this. Yeah, where I, I and I'll just say in a story that I did genuinely like very early on, uh, there was a moment I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm pushing, you know, I, I've um a bitten off more than I can chew. The moment where that came to me was when the, you know, they run the experiment and like, we've done it. 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 That is the worst scene in Classic Who. I've never done that. I mean. and, the, and there's that terrible comedy music as well, that kind of ring around the rosies kind of thing. Jack, there's loads of comedy music in this story. I... It it and the, like the only reason it's saved is because Roger Delgado walks into frame and looks pretty pretty unamused by it all. <laughs> so that's what saves it. There's one moment where Roger Delgado pretty much looks at the camera when he's been foiled away, and the music goes whack whack. <laughs> is that um is that in a, in Atlantis when he walks out and he sees the Doctor? Yeah, I think it is that one. Yeah, it's like whack whack whack. I was like. Are we really going here? Like we've we've literally become a Christmas pantomime. I mean, that's, it, that that is what this feels like, isn't it? Like everything. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, like I will say it. There's so, like the master is a lot of fun in this story. Oh, um, Delgado can do no wrong. Oh, he just he just goes for it. Like you know, they sometimes like they do give him interesting things to do. All the stuff in the you know when the two Tardises are materialized inside each other, and he's playing with the Doctor. And there's that, you know, it's that thing I'll that... I beg your pardon. Um, moving along. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I forgot are. about this part. I, yeah, I forgot about this part <laughs> of the podcasting gig. Um, I forgot about that scene, you know, Roger Delgado playing with John Pertwee. But <laughs> go on, keep going. I, I feel like, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like every everybody has seen at least one Roger, Roger Delgado Pertwee fanfic at some point. 
Um, oh God, if you go to some regions, no, we're uh, not. Oh, going yeah, to sorry, we're not going into fanfic again. We every time I can send you some pictures that will make your hair go grey. I'm telling Joe, you, Joe, you can, and you don't don't need to. Okay. Um, I swear, anytime I mention that word, that just sets you off. <laughs> oh, um, please continue. But um, <laughs> but you know, there's that whole scene in uh in the TARDIS where they're kind of they have they have their showdown. And Delgado is a delight. There's that kind of chival, you know. There's that gentleman's, that gentlemanly kind of rivalry where they kind of respect each other and secretly like each other, but they're also sworn arch enemies. And it's so they're charming. so relaxed with each other. You compare it to the <clears throat> Doctor Master scenes in the new series where everything's so manic and and mm. and hysterical. They're just so like suave with each other aren't they you know? <laughs> yeah well you, you you only have to go to you know one master later in the deadly assassin and he's a complete psychopath mm. who wants to to murder um but yeah you know he he gets that stuff he also gets um some really uh, genuinely delicious stuff in um atlantis where he's uh um charming the queen of atlantis um and also oh, we gotta talk about those atlantis scenes all right we will we almost certainly will and also but also at the beginning where he's like doing the whole i am the master and you will obey me and they give him all this like nothing in the world will stop me now stuff and he just goes for it he's great i love him in this i think it's great that he's got his own companions for a couple yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's really fun is it is it the first would you say it's the first time the master has kind of had his own companions for a story yeah, yeah, I mean, I've heard the argument made that there's a really nice parallel in Terror of the Autons, that the Doctor um, has his gang, which is Unit, and the Master has his gang, which is the people from the circus, because they're basically, you know, beating people up for him, which is kind of fun. But this this really feels like he's taking the piss. He's got, you know, a base of operations, scientific equipment, a boy and a girl companion, and then older guy... It is like he is mirroring the doctor's life now, and that is really yeah. I and you know, and there's uh, one of one of the pleasures of the Pertwee era that I always somehow forget is just any scene where um, John Pertwee essentially gets annoyed at the master, but you know, when he realizes the master's alias, he's like, Oh, of all the cheek, all, all the nerve, <laughs> uh, this one is really. Um, I, I don't know. I just it really enjoy seeing John Pertwee just being like very irritated by whatever the master has got up to. Excuse me. If you want to talk about people being cheeky, that fucking time flow analog thing that he makes out of all the junk from someone's kitchen with a cup of tea on the top. I mm. mean, I, 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 um, look, there's really no excusing anything to do with the, um, uh, time sensor or, um, <laughs> It, it's just a load of paper clips isn't it and a cup of tea <laughs> yeah oh it's it's you know there, there was a part of me that was going that was so tempted to excuse it because i always find it really charming mm. whenever the new series when you, you know you have peter capaldi or jody whittaker david tennant matt smith whatever and they fashion out this big sci-fi doohickey and it's just out of out of a load of old junk but but here i was also kind of like I feel like I'm just talking about the episode now. I don't think I'm actually making a case for well, it's it. It's fine, no, but these are, I mean, let's, let's, 
take a step back. And these are all like really, it is utterly self-indulgent, all of it. There's no part of this story that isn't self-indulgent. And they're basically, I think, relying on the goodwill that you love these characters and you're just willing to have a bit of a laugh with them. Yeah. Um, like they're not doing serious season seven drama anymore, are they? They're just like, oh, no, just, no. end of season, let's just throw everything at this. But all these bits, they are really fun, aren't they? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that, yeah. that thing, that time flow analog thing, it's abs- it's aped absolutely in the lodger that lash up that he makes in his room. Ooh, is in modern art terrible? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, but but you know here it is literally just a bottle with with a cor- with a corkscrew and they put a t- when when they put the teacup on the top. Mm. It's like ah, the tea leaves. <laughs> yeah, like, They're just making this sharp. I know. Like, and the only reason I was like, you know what, I'm going to let them get away with this, is that it was designed more or less for the sole purpose. Because, let's be honest, that episode kind of has nothing going for it around that time. It's just a lot of kind of incidents. Hanging about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of hanging about. And the only reason that I think that works for me is because the Doctor makes this completely, this gadget. He spends, a, it's like five minutes or something that we spend building the gadget, getting it to work. And then it blows up immediately. And the sole purpose of it in the narrative is just to annoy the master. Do you know what? I can think of another story that does that same... Because it is a gag, and it? it's supposed to be a gag that, you know, they built this elaborate contraption and it blows up. Do you remember the sequence in The Stones of Blood where Rumford and the Doctor are making the hyperspace thingy? And there's a whole massive dialogue scene as he's putting crystals in and blah, blah, blah. And then there's all this build-up of like, you know, right, I'm going to go into hyperspace you press that button, oh, da, 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 and it builds and builds and builds, and then she presses the button and it blows up, and he goes like, switch off! And it's basically this scene done, but it's infinitely better, better script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, honestly, when you were talking about Cheeky, I thought you meant um, the time sensor, the um, very phallic time sensor. I mean, it's a big knob, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it, there's no way around it. It's, <laughs> it um, looks like a big knob. Uh, with literally the tip of it has a little radar on it, and you literally point the pe- the cock part of it, <laughs> you point that at where you're going. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, and the two testicles go spinning around. That was the point, right? Where that was introduced, and it's like scene three or something like that. I was like, okay, and then they were calling it Tom Tit as well. But I was like, okay, Tom Tits, penis sensors. Uh, they're basically saying to us now, you, you've got to go with us, all right? You've got to go with us or jump off now, because this is basically the story. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Take it or leave it. Yeah, Honestly, they, do, they do try and give it some emotional weight, though, because they age you, don't they, to, they like, do, yeah. an old man. And I, I don't think it really works because the performance ain't great, but they are kind of trying to give it consequences. Yeah, yeah, like, it's a good, like, it's a great, concept to throw out and like it, it's the whole thing where it's very playful with time like you know they're dropping in it's like you know it's it's kind of like doing uh, I, I see i think the war games but it's all just happening in the same place as opposed to kind of being thrown about mm. um it has it has the scale of the war games the ambition of it mm. Um, have but, the dramatic uh, merit of the war games yeah but like the concept of being aged into you know it, it, like that the concept of being aged nearly to death which you know is actually used in city of death as well um yeah. is like a dramatically valid one um and you know he well, does like, there is like that... isn't it it's like a lot of the ideas in this are cherry picked elsewhere they're just kind of used better but 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, this is the thing. This is this that that is fundamentally the reason why I think it's underrated is the fact that you know it has this terrible reputation, but it's so it it's weird. It's so full of all these ideas that the show just keeps coming back to. Um, uh, I'll certainly say this: you never know where it's going next. You could you can't predict where it's going next. That's right. That's right. I mean, they literally go to Atlantis and then and create probably the single biggest continuity error up to that point right what i mean what, like because they've already done it two atlantis. atlantises i know there's no sign of uh professor zaroff in this one is there yeah. wouldn't it's it be great, great if he turned up wouldn't oh, it be great if he yes yeah that would have elevated in... this considerably <laughs> can you imagine the roger delgado going off against uh, against the old prof <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I saw him in a James Bond movie, you know, uh, Joseph First, underplaying it, you. completely underplaying it in a Bond movie. He was like the villain's chief henchman scientist. I thought, oh, oh, we're going to get some Zaroff level hyster hysteria here. No, it was really subtle. Oh, how did that make you feel? Can you believe they spend five minutes, right, on a set piece where Benton is tricked, the brigadier on the phone saying, Oh, my old fellow, it's the master doing the voice. They literally spent yeah. five minutes doing this, getting him out of the room. Then he climbs back in through the window. Then he hides behind the computer. And then it's like, Oh, that's the oldest trick in the book. And the master thumps him. I'm like, Oh my God, have we really just spent five minutes doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it's just, it's just so that whole sequence is so strange because they, it literally exists to be like, at least you think it exists to be like, Sergeant ben Benton isn't an idiot, you know? He's, he's a soldier, you know, he's done his army training, he can tell when um, uh, his boss is being imitated, and then he immediately gets, just gets taken yeah, out like a out. job! Yeah. You oh, know, hey. um, it, in credit to John Levine, and I'm sure um, he would be very keen for everybody to know this, he does a great fall. He, oh, he goes into that look. He, he does two episodes of the commentary on this one. Oh, oh man. you want to hear some comedy? Go and play those episodes. <laughs> yeah, we got nothing. We got nothing on this. Um, me in the background of this scene. I'm looking very thoughtful at what Dr. Ingram is saying. Yes, yes. This is my best performance yet. And Roger said to me, oh, John, I'm so sorry I hit you so hard. No, no, Roger, no. It was good for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's what his commentary is like. <laughs> I uh, anytime I see an interview with jo with John Levine, it's just there's like I do have this affection for it because he's clearly like he loves it and he lo and he's proud of what he did on the show and absolutely dine out on every any and every story you can yeah. you can you can get. However, there are moments where I'm just like, is this a joke? <laughs> you know? Do you remember when Toby Haydock went to visit his house in that living with Levine? Have you seen it? I haven't seen that one. No. He goes here. Look. Here's my Doctor Who collection. And he opens up his wardrobe and his old uniform is in there, pressed, right? And then there's DVDs on the shelf and it's just the stories he's in. I know. <laughs> collection. I, I was watching... Um, <laughs> he's a very uh, strange man. I was watching... I, I won't detour too long, but I was watching um, a season... Oh, goodness. I, for some reason, my brain always short circuits whenever it's the per week. I think season season 10? Is that um, Three Doctors and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was watching the behind the sofas on that one, and you, and he's always, and like, he's super excited when it's, like, you know, the Three Doctors and then the Green Death. And then in the middle, 
when you know they go out into outer space when they go off into outer space at the end of every episode <clears throat> i feel like he always goes well that was pretty good considering i wasn't in it <laughs> yeah. for some reason richard franklin and john levine seem to think that, that you know they were responsible for because richard franklin <laughs> says in a brilliant um commentary he goes you know had they killed off captain mike yates there would have been a national outcry i'm like i don't think there would have been <laughs> i mean like the only reason why um you, you know the um the great cliffhanger with the bomb being dropped with the whistle the, mm. the only reason why i i it, did, it wasn't slightly better for me was that oh it's only captain yates definitely <laughs> If it had been Joe Grant, and actually we do need to talk about Joe Grant because you know what, we do. right? She is so charismatic in this, and I feel like like she's just on a straight run at this point of just yeah. being incredibly good all the way through to the Green Death. Um, but they do give her this bizarre seventies groovy, you know, wow, that was a fab old Pippin dream and <laughs> dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And this is the <clears throat> only story where she talks in this sort of seventies disco dialogue. It's such I a know, weird yeah. aberration. She literally arrives in, in, you know, the Kronos void at the end. She's like, ooh, groovy. Um, <laughs> and, you know, when she went, when she puts on her dress in Atlanta, she does actually also go, wow, this is groovy. She looks beautiful in those episodes. She They've does, given her yeah. one of those fabulous fake wigs as well, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think she's I, I, it's, it's, a, it's an odd one for Joe, I think, because I agree um you know it, it it's a katie manning is on a pure charm offensive mm. at this point and she's so like lovely to watch and very fun to be around but her characterization in the story admittedly i wouldn't say it's one of her best outings um no, but you know what you, I, I was watching those early scenes really carefully you know when they're outside the tardis and that yeah. uh and they're just hanging out in the lab and it's just so natural her and pertwee it's just it's yeah, beautiful. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I was also thinking, actually, have we kind of exhausted any kind of dramatic worth with this relationship? Because they they are so fucking casual. They're practically you know lying backwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what they do in the cell. They just like smile at each other and talk about the daisiest daisy. Oh, um, that scene is gorgeous. though. I think that's one of the best scenes, like in classic. Yeah, uh, it's it's it's, so it's, nice. it's it's so charmingly played, and uh, you know, Pertwee. Um, uh, is delightful in that but it's also it's a really lovely little two-hander between both actors and katie manning it's you i was genuinely quite struck at the sheer amount of affection that the, you see these actors have but um i i suppose what i'm getting at with joe is that you know the, the episode literally begins with her going well you know well i'm you know i i i, I you know i'm terribly dim but oh. could you please and it's and it's it. She is patronized quite a lot at various. By herself. Points. I mean, that's all. By herself. Yeah, I know. It's it's and it's and there. You know, the doctor, especially I think in the early episodes, is very much doing the whole. Oh, not now, Joe. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it's quite simple, Joe. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of that, especially. And you know, I don't think it's unreasonable because it's the when they do the TARDIS materializing inside another TARDIS, and they walk through. Um, and um, they're going through, and they're walking around, and it, it's the endless spatial loop. And she's like, "I don't get it. I still don't get it. No, <laughs> I don't get it." And the doctor's like, "Oh well, it's perfectly simple, Joe." I love the fact that I mean, is she the most suicidal companion of all time? She tries to 
commit suicide in the demons. So kill me, not him. She tries to kill herself in this by doing the time ram. Like no wonder they ended up writing that big finished story, the many deaths of Joe Grant to take the piss out of the fact <laughs> that she's always trying to sacrifice herself. Yeah. She um I'll tell you what it is. Pertwee, Pertwee was so fucking mean to her in series like season eight, you know, all those scenes where you talk down to her. She's got so little self-worth that she's trying to kill herself at every opportunity. <laughs> I you know, you know when she um uh, when they get chained up in the cell and say, Well, my you know, we didn't cover manacles in escapology. Um Yeah, all right, really, Joe. What... Escapology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> read into that what you will. Um but you could also read that as code for I'm not getting out of these manacles. I'd rather die in this dungeon than keep going through the story with you, Doctor. Um, but, you know, one thing that really struck me was everybody's performances in this. Yeah, everybody's was extremely relaxed to the point of, I don't want to say not trying, but a bit insubstantial, except John Pertwee, who's taken the whole thing exceedingly serious throughout. Mm. And he's given this, he's the one that's like, you know, like when, when he's trying to get the name out of Stu and he's going, you know, shut up, you lot. Come on, Stu. Tell me what you saw, you know, like, and he's, and I'm just like, why is he so grumpy when everyone else is clearly having the fun, you know? Yeah, I know. I feel like, I mean, I, I don't think it's uncommon for Pertwee to be taking it super seriously and everybody else's. Because he, you know, he had that whole "I'm the head," I'm, you know, I'm the the head of the company kind of vibe about him. But you're right; he does go, he does go hard in this story. I think this is the um, tipping point. I think from ten onwards, and you've just watched ten. He's quite relaxed. Do you remember him in Frontier in Space? Yeah, when he's in the cells, yeah. and he's literally got his legs crossed, and he's going, "Oh well, never mind." You know? Yeah, I I think in terms of the coziness of the of the of the of the ensemble, the lead ensemble. Um, the moment for me that really was like, oh, these aren't, and it's such a shift from um, Pertwee's first season, where you know they're they're all quite gritty characters. They're all kind of um, Quater, the Quatermass, <clears throat> and in that kind of style. Um, and the moment, and I could tell, I was like, oh, this is a. They've now completely departed from this. It's in that beginning. And it's it's one of my favorite comedy moments in Doctor Who, admittedly, when the Doctor calls up the Brigadier, and is like, "Splendid! And what am I saving the world from? What are you? What are we saving the world from today? The Master. Where have you seen him? In a dream, <laughs> not half an hour ago. And and Nick Courtney does this look where he's he just rolls his eyes, and it's so funny. <laughs> it's really funny." And he's got his dialogue, man. He's what is it? It could swallow the planet quicker than a boa constructor can swallow a was it say a chicken? Fur oh, no, yeah, a, yeah. a rabbit, fur and all. <laughs> what the fuck is that line all about? Honestly, God, oh, the, there are so many, there are so many strange bits, like um uh, you know, when when there's that whole weird thing about in I think it's in episode two. When they're like, oh, well, you know, unit has arrived and we must dine with the, the head of the of Cambridge and all that. And you hear them, you see them walking around and there was a line where one of the background extras, who's just this guy in a suit, is like, well, I don't know how the army has, has the budget to dine out on <laughs> pheasants. <laughs> like, you can buy a pheasant for like a fiver. <laughs> God knows, maybe. I, but Inflation also, I in love... The 70s. <laughs> 
I, do you know, I love that ensemble because I, I think it's when they go to the demonstration mm. um, and uh, they walk in and they say, oh, yes, Tom Tit. And someone actually laughs. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember if some, it was the person who was saying Tom Tit or if it was someone who heard it and just kind of went. Mm. But either way, I was just like, oh, we're all, we're all in on the joke here. Well, I'll tell you when I laughed, and that was in episodes five and six, I didn't stop laughing throughout the Atlantis episodes <laughs> because I don't think history has ever looked more studio-bound. Uh, and no. I don't think the performances have, have ever been COD RSC <laughs> in quite the same way. Yeah, you've got the, the king of Atlantis, who I don't mind, actually. He's, like when he toned... he's a bit cheeky, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, especially with the master when he's like, "Ah, oh, what did the gods dine on today?" Mm? <laughs> Fish, probably. Is he supposed to be Ingrid Pitt's husband? I I think so. They have an age gap there, isn't there? I know it's really, it but it's weird because I was like, is there some kind of like you know, marrying for power kind of thing, or um, and I think there is. But she genuinely loves him. She mm. she essentially throws away throws out her scheme with the master because she because he let him die when he dies and she goes oh she throws herself at the master that whole bit's hilarious when she tries yeah. to like slap him yeah that admittedly there, there are some there's some fight choreography in this that is not very well done unforgettable I would say unforgettable like, there's certainly a um... Um, an ambiance to those last two episodes that's uh, unique to this story, I would say. Mm. But I don't think it's convincing or compelling. <laughs> I see there are some scenes which I do like. There, there are some lovely scenes in the Atlantis in the Atlantis stuff. It's also, but again, this is what I mean. Like for the final two episodes, they're just like, "Yep, we're in Atlantis. We're just we're nowhere near the laboratory. We're nowhere near." These time and space shenanigans. We're now just in Atlantis. We're just doing an Atlantis story now. They do try um, and do like a big set, don't they? For, with like columns and a staircase, and they yeah, try and yeah, give it a sense of scale or the scale they can in a BBC studio. And you've got mm -hmm. like um, uh, like wave tridents and things like that. And there's like a design to it, mm -hmm. but it's shot and lit in a sort of pantomimey way. Yeah, until you get into the in into the kind of catacombs where they they shoot on film, mm. um, and that and that stuff actually. I mean, admittedly, um, the whole thing with the not minotaur um, is uh, a bit. It's it's a Do bit. You know the the behind the scenes story about that mask. Uh, I don't know. I, I the only thing I know about it is that it's David Prowse. Who, <laughs> it's Darth Vader, but yeah, no. no. Apparently Barry Letts was phoned up uh, by the one of the visual effects people and said, you get you better get down here quick. And he's like, why? What's wrong? He's like, well, you know that Minotaur that you asked them to make? This is Barry Letts telling this story in the commentary. Well, they've made Daisy the cow. And he's like, what? I'm coming now. And he goes down there and there's this massive like cow head with huge horns. And he's like, what's that? And he went, you're supposed to be making a ball. You've made Daisy the cow. And he went, oh, is a ball much different from a cow? <laughs> and then they just had to use it because they made it. I mean, this was the level of sophistication with the effects team at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I was watching that and I was like, wait a minute. That's not, 
is this the top half of a panto cow that they, they've stuck on Darth Vader? <laughs> they've stuck on Darth Vader. I know, and and it's 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 weird because David Prowse, he's a huge guy, mm. um, he's enormous, and he's but he's running around in the most terrible. <laughs> it's, but then he but then he lifts somebody over his head. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> And yet, I do think as soon as we're on film, it's shot a bit more dynamically as well. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. They're yeah. they got a bit more room to move around. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. As anytime they go on, it's, it's, it's. I feel like it's a standard thing with the Pertwee era. As soon as they're on film, it there's just something about it which just yeah, kind of it. pop. It's what it's it's why that Blu-ray restoration of um, Spearhead from Space mm. is just the best because you know it's all on film and it all just looks stunning um uh but yeah i see but with the atlantis stuff it like it is a bit naff um it, how <laughs> it's quite state. naff yeah God, um yeah. but yeah um uh there there's some good stuff in there i you know i when uh, uh the doctor and um uh and the king of atlantis are i should remember his name what's his name again dalios i think dalios yeah um when they're you know as kind of overwritten as it is when it's like ah yes you're a philosopher um uh, i i nonetheless find it kind of likable because pertwee's great in those scenes i especially i do especially love the scenes with um the master and um ingrid um oh, it, ingrid Pitt, yeah yeah ingrid Pitt. I think they've got proper sexual chemistry as well oh a hundred percent a hundred percent that like the master is is like He's making a move on her. You don't see her heaving bosom. I can see why. Yeah, I. Um, uh, it's it's <laughs> it's very it's very pronounced. You ain't gonna see a, a bosom heaving like that until <laughs> Kate of Androzani again. Mm. But um, yeah, no, they they actually have like really good chemistry, and it and it does actually feel it like like romantic sexual chemistry, <laughs> which is. Which is the strangest thing. It's the only thing. thing this story's been missing till this point. They've covered everything else, you know? Yeah, they've yeah. done the past with the Roundheads. They've done the present. Um, they've done, you know, science fiction concepts. They just haven't done any romance. Here we go. That's right. That's right. You go kind of from, you know, the master getting everything done to the master getting it on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we don't see that, though. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Do you know what I reckon, um, right, is the ultimate test as to whether you can accept the time monster for on its own merits or not is Kronos himself the great oh. white budgery guard flow, flowing about on a kirby wire flapping his feathery oh, wings. Right. it's a the big flap, flappy chicken of death i mean it's unique yeah that's right and you know it's i mean look i i think what i think when um uh i was watching it uh, i think my dad walked past as i was had it on <laughs> no. and uh he saw Kronos coming out of the crystal <laughs> and he just burst out laughing um so your like, dad that got is... involved i know he to be to, it was weird he, i i was watching the tail end of episode five and even though he was like that looked terrible he he stayed and watched the entirety of episode six there we go Honestly, so it's clearly doing something um how would you okay okay because we i mean we've covered an awful lot there in time on so yeah. we, we have as is our want to 
jump about all over the place. But if you're making a case for the time monster being an underrated Doctor Who story, how would you summarize that? Um, I think I, w- I would say that, you know, you can argue, you can, it's very easy to poke fun at it. I think it's very easy to say that did, this bit didn't work, that bit didn't work. That's a bit silly, isn't it? But underneath, underneath the silliness of its execution, and I do think the Time Monster is a really good, you know, um, barometer for the kind of Doctor Who you like. Um, and also how much silliness you can in, you can put up with in Doctor Who. Mm. Um, <clears throat> nonetheless, it is it's you know what I said earlier. I think it's it 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 throws out with surprisingly gleeful abundance just all these ideas and just all these um, concepts that the show kind of actively revisits later. Um, it, 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 it like the bones of the story are good, and uh, you know I feel like the way the story expands is not necessarily uncommon in the new series either. Where you know you start in one place and then and then uh, you know you've got uh, there's a, a a big kind of reveal and then something out. This is the most vague way of describing a plot. Um, but the way it expands reminded me of the new series. And I think very much of the way, <laughs> maybe for better or worse, the way some, some Stephen Moffat's episodes kind of expand. Oh, see, I was thinking more like, um, even like a three-part Utopia Sound of Drums last of the time laws, and it covers sure, it sure, sure, sure. huge. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's massively ambitious. You never fucking know where it's going next. It's all over the bloody place. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I Although I don't think... I don't think even the zane. I think the time monster is probably one of the zaniest slices of Doctor Who you'll ever see. Um, sure. You, you, you uh, remember she's inertia drive, so you can go oh, that super is, oh fast. Oh my god! And the music goes. And then and then you've got that super lame explanation where the Doctor's just like, "Well, why didn't I go through the windshield? Ah, yes, the brakes just absorb inertia." It's like, that sounds very handy, Doctor. It's like, it's, there's just one fucking bizarre idea after another in this. Yeah. But you know what, right? I'm perfectly convinced that this is what you just said there as, as like a, a gauge of how silly you can handle your Doctor Who. I think this is the sort of Doctor Who that once you kind of get over yourself and you want everything to be serious and, and gritty and resurrection of the Daleks, you know, because that's what you want as a kid. You want death and Daleks and, you know, no kind of... And you want it to be serious. Because you, you want to be like... You want to be taken seriously as a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. But I think, like, uh, I'm not saying you're getting old, Jack, but you are certainly older than when we started this thing. And I think you've got to a point where, you know what, you've kind of gotten over the fact that Doctor Who can be really fucking daft at times. And now you just embrace it. And I think this is sort of perfect midlife Doctor Who. Sorry. <laughs> where you've gotten, a, you've gotten over yourself a bit and you just love how naff it is and how fun is are you saying this is like the light at the end of the tunnel for doctor <laughs> who fans in like their midlife crises all right well you're someone who has a podcast that's based upon the horns of nymon so i think your tolerance of naffness is pretty high yeah i was gonna look at that there was a point where i was watching this and i was like you know it's all the t- stupid tom tit stuff <laughs> um 
<laughs> See, uh, look, where it's I... like I'm laughing. The second you say Tom Tit, it's hilarious. And they're, and they're so mean. They're so mean. They make Nicholas Courtney, of all people, say it, I think, the most. And in just with Nick Courtney just going in his dry, kind of straight face going, Ah, yes, Tom Tit. It's but... just, it makes it funnier. Yeah, but well, yeah, the fact that they take it seriously is any of this is, is very funny. Um, but they always hang a lantern on it as well because you have that man coming going, even the name is ridiculous, Tom Tit, you know. Yeah, like, like, so they are constantly pointing out how you know the inertia drive Joe Grant is like, oh, really? Like, do you yeah. know what I mean, it's not like they're not aware that it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. really stupid. And there's, there's, and you know, this, and it's full of odd comedy. Like, it's deliberate, the comedy, but it's also super weird. Like, you know, when the TARDIS dematerializes and you just have that guy who's just like, Londoners. That's <laughs> um, And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of aware of it. Um, uh, but they still kind of go for it. Like, and you've got like Nick Corney doing like his slow motion run where he's just jogging on the spot. It even starts with that filmic dream of the master shot from below, doesn't it? Hello, yeah. Doctor! <laughs> Welcome to my domain. Oh. It's so, it's very gay. <laughs> with the Doctor on that couch as well. On the show I've got to say. Um, I mean, it, it's pretty terrible, but it's deliriously enjoyable. Yeah, I see. But this is what I was saying. Like, you know, I was about halfway through. It was during the Tom Tit stuff. And it was all the, we did it, we did it, we did it. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is pretty bad. This is pretty, like, and I have, a, but then again, I was like, I've hung my colors to the mast of silliness in Doctor Who mm. so aggressively <laughs> that I feel like I have no reason to kind of go, nah, maybe, maybe this is a bit too silly. Because I clearly think the horns of Nymon is fine. Yeah, I want you some of my favourites are the Chase and Time and the Rani, and I just think I think I just have a, a natural aptitude to really love. Yeah, crap. It... <laughs> <laughs> um, it does, but it does feel like a story where um, <clears throat> it it kind of has the ambition of something like the Web Planet, um, in terms of how, in terms of you know, there's the scale of the story that it's trying to realize. And it has the kind of letting its hair down in a, in a, it has, it's, it's, it's looser in a, in the way that the chase is loose for better or for worse. Um, it's yeah. looser than your bowels after a vindaloo. Yeah, we could put it like that as well, if you like. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I wouldn't want every, I wouldn't want people's main takeaway of this to be like, yeah, watching the Time Monster is like shitting yourself. <laughs> Some shits can be very satisfying, you know. That's, um, we're, we're not, we're not doing this detour. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I've got a massive, massive love for B movies. Yeah, so like, I've, I've got yeah, yeah. a shelf full of them: The Brain, A Nymphoid Barbarian, and Dinosaur Hell. These are ones that I've mentioned before. Um, and this has a B-movie-ish feel about it. Uh, it, it does, certainly yeah. in its execution and how it's played. But mm. I think there's a new series episode. I which has a very B-movie-ish feel about it. Oh, yes. Um, I haven't lost my segue talents. I know. They're clearly as sharp as ever. Um, uh, yeah, let's, let's go straight into it. Let's go 
into arachnids in the UK. I mean, it's called Arachnids in the UK. It's supposed to be a B-movie. It's supposed to be a camp bit of tosh, right? Mm. <laughs> no Doctor Who with that title is supposed to be taken seriously. Um, it's like, what are those, what are those dreadful, uh, Sharknado and things like that? It's, it's a title mm. like that, you know, and you don't go into those movies thinking, well, this is going to be a rip-roaring piece of drama, do you? But, but see, I, 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 not to come out as swinging out the bat, uh, swing, swinging out the, oh, I'm getting my metaphor, I'm McCoy all of a sudden, getting my metaphors mixed up. Um, not to come, but not to come out swinging too aggressively, but I feel, I don't know, I feel like, and I, I know this is the kind of tonal shift that the Doctor Who and the new series especially likes to do where it contrasts high drama with high melodrama and very often failing melodrama high camp. Mm. Um, I feel like there are there are a lot of scenes in Arachnids in the UK which are an, as somber as anything in, in series 11. And then, and, and then you contrast it with giant spiders i think i think those scenes are confined to like the first 15 minutes and then because that's that it's it's also doing a we're back on earth story for the three races and establishing them back in their natural habitat so and i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i think those scenes uh where graham goes home uh, and it's empty and he's remembering grace and she's telling him about when the bins go out and things like that i mean bradley walsh can do no wrong those scenes are heartbreakingly good um so that's 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 the the duality of this it's telling a, a camp old doctor who story about massive spiders but it is also doing the homecoming story well look you know like um aliens in london did exactly the same thing it's rose's homecoming and it's a massive alien invasion story you know and it's it's marrying drama and really really camp silly doctor who as well like Mm -hmm. it's something that doctor who in the new series does a lot i could probably point at times in uh moffat's time where it's done that as well so i'm not going to criticize it for that Mm -hmm. but as as b movie doctor who I think this is this is as good as it gets. Those spiders are so fucking chilling. They are so beautifully realized. And he just knows what he's doing. He just knows you've got to, you've got to have um people in bed covered in webs, spiders under the bed, spiders dragging people down bloody plug holes. I mean, it's not subtle, but it's really fun. Yeah. Oh, I think the, didn't the episode come out around Halloween anyway? So they kind of capitalized yeah. on the the icky factor of it. But like you know, let's not forget Planet of the Spider Spiders were a load of rod puppets. You know, kind of shaking away. These CGI spiders, they look phenomenally good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're definitely the best ones the show's ever done. Like, even with um, Kill the Moon, there's a uh, an anecdote that Peter Capaldi likes to tell where. Funnily enough, he is talking about the B-movie quality of Doctor Who, where mm. he says that while they were filming Kill the Moon, someone just, um, uh, they were in front of a green screen, and they just threw a giant rubber spider at Peter Capaldi and just said, fight it. And he was just there with this rubber spider going, um, but yeah. One of my friends is is um, an arachnophobic, yeah? 
Mm-hmm. And she couldn't watch this episode. She got halfway through and she's like, oh, she was so scared watching it. She was messaging me going, <laughs> she kept sending me photographs. I was at work and she was just going, fucking hell, fucking hell. And she just kept saying, and she goes, no, I've turned it off. I can't watch it anymore. And it was around about the time when um, they were all crawling along the ceiling towards Graham and, uh, Graham and Ryan. And she's like, no, I can't watch this shit anymore. This is too scary <laughs> for me. Um, it isn't doing anything deep at all um but it is completely leaning into the creature feature idea like the sequence where um what's the guy's name they keep making a joke of his name kevin is dragged down that thing and you just hear him screaming and then Chody Wicks goes straight in the room ties her head down the hole oh man it's just blissful it's so so good i think it's great uh-huh. And I, I think Chris Chibnall has a massive hard-on for the Pertwee era, right? He did in um, the Silurian two-parter. That's a massive love letter to the Pertwee era. He's just done the Sea Devils. Like, I think he really, really enjoys that period of Doctor Who. And this is um, the Pertwee era twice over. He's got big spiders and he's got the environmental message landfill from the Green Death. Yeah, yeah. And it's... um. It's it's just as unsubtle here as it was there. Yeah, um, it's Doctor Who doing an, an environmental message. Is it ever going to be subtle? This is a show about bloody monsters. This there's always monsters in Doctor Who. Oh no, I I, I don't I don't fault the um uh I don't I, I don't I don't fault it fault its message at all. Uh, I think I think the only the as far as the messaging went, the only thing I really truly did not like was um chris noth and his character uh, okay well can we part that because i want to go back to chris noth because i have a lot of things to say about him as well mm, yeah um i wanted to talk a little bit about the execution of the episode this is beautifully directed this episode the, the opening do you remember the opening with all the sweeps towards the hotel and oh yeah the, on the ground the hotel it looks like spider scuttling it is all from basically from the point of view of the spiders one of the be- most beautiful setups of a doctor who episode i think um there's a bit where um jodie whittaker the doctor is um drawing on a map all the different places these things have happened and then we go through the map into the hotel there's constant like visual inventiveness in this that i really uh-huh. really enjoyed um I think it's Sally Abraham Haim, I think her name is. And I think she only did this episode. And it's a crying shame because she's clearly got a good grasp of how to do good Doctor Who. She puts the camera under the bed, right? And she's got the leg of the spider in shot whilst Ryan's reaching around under the bed. But we're not sure. We don't know that's the leg of the spider until it suddenly moves. And that's a great jump shock. And she's just she does that throughout. There's like lots of effortless moments. I love the bit where they go into the ballroom and it's a total Stephen Moffat moment where Graham says to Ryan, Did you look up? No, did you? <laughs> and then, yeah. And then you look straight up and a massive bloody spider coming down. Mm-hmm. There, there is no subtlety to this. If you want substance in your Doctor Who, then I can understand why this would disappoint you. But there is an energy to this, there is a sense of humor to it. And they like the time monster. There's just a let, let's go with this. Let's do this B movie and let's do it the best we can. And I think they pour all the right resources into it that they should. 
and it's just very skillfully done. Mm. I look, I Arachnids in the UK is a story that um, I feel like it cops quite a lot of flack. I know it's pretty much it's a very vocal minority of people who like it. I think I would say very vocal. Um, yeah, 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 sure. Um, uh, fight, fight your corner. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, I remember watching it and kind of going, "Oh, I appreciate the kind of silly, the kind of B movie, ooh, scary spiders thing that it was going for." I was like, "This is fine." It was. It's. It's. It, I enjoy it. Maybe an odd comparison to make, but I enjoy arachnids in the UK in the same way that you know dinosaurs on a spaceship yeah it's doing the same thing it's doing exactly the same thing but and it does it literally to the point of an unusually dark ethically murky ending uh except in in the power in dinosaurs on a spaceship i think it is there is genuine murkiness there whereas here i think it's completely fucked um Although I would say, I was trying to think about this. I was like, okay, well, let's just think about the times when the Doctor has uh, murdered in order to um, sort out the climax to a Doctor Who story. And I just couldn't stop finding examples. Troughton did it about eight times. McCoy took out a whole planet. Um, the Fifth Doctor sure. took out a load of the Daleks with that Mavellan virus. The, doctor, the Sixth Doctor murdered the Vervoids. And it went on and on and on that list. And, and, and don't get me wrong, it doesn't make it any less kind of ethically unsound. But I think, I think, I think it's because they don't have that conversation in this. That's the problem. They don't have the conversation of should we should we murder them? Like they basically no. just decide we should murder them because they're big spiders and they're killing people. And it's not even that they're either, they don't even have like the us or them conversation. Like it's either us or them. It's basically, well, we've got to squash these spiders somehow. Let's get them in there and give them as humane a death as possible. Yes, but, it, but the thing that bothers me about the story, the thing, and this is what substantially holds me back um, uh, from really liking this, from liking the story, is that you know the the doctor has a real go at. Um, Chris Noth's character um, um, for choosing to shoot the spider. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, he makes the legitimate point of, you know, killing them is quicker and, le and less painful. And so when the Doctor has the whole thing about locking all the other spiders up in the basement, it is inherently framed as the more humane choice. Um, what, than actually just, just shooting them? Yeah. Well, it's kind um, of like putting them down. Oh, well, I suppose they're both putting them down, aren't they? Yeah, except in one, they're literally starving of oh, oxygen. Oh, you're saying because she takes the moral high ground and then does the same thing? Yes, pretty much. Um, it just... Yeah, I get that. But how is this going to end otherwise? What are we going to co-inhabit with these massive spiders? I mean, it's like... There are like I feel like there have been plenty of Doctor Who episodes where the Doctor's solution has been let's take these spiders and let's dump them on like some remote alien planet where they can just scuttle out about and be spiders, you know. Um, uh, or alternatively, 
um, you know, the, the the doctor has there 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 are literally a dozen more humane ways of dealing with the spiders than leaving them to suffocate is, and die. Murky. Yeah, it's murky. and it is a kind of a, like an Eric Saywood. Well, let's just kill them all off, and that's the end of our story. You know, <laughs> oh, if um, it was Eric Saywood, it would be even more inhumane. <laughs> it would be. It would be. You'd see them exploding. Everyone would be covered in gunk. You know? Yeah, it would be. If it was Eric Saywood, I don't know. Um, he wouldn't think, do this, but it would be like they would be starving of oxygen and then it would be like cut to cut to like three months later as they're all kind of suffocating and then they just explode <laughs> or like be, Chris you remember Warriors of the Deep when they use the gas and you've got all the green pus coming out of the eyes there'd be stuff like that you know it would be a bit more bit more obvious instead yeah. at least you know what at least they're spared that dreadful fucking music that Ray and Ryan plays in this episode Oh, yes, 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 that's right. Which, uh, to be honest, I actually, that was a moment I actually kind of liked. <laughs> I mean, the song is awful, but I, I, I agree. I, I like the idea of appealing to that kids, you know, and, and um, having that sort of music in there. I just think it's, I do actually think it's a, it's a really fun idea to, like, attract the spiders using heavy vibration that they can detect through their, through their um, legs. And using that to attract them, and they use terrible music, heavy, heavy bass, terrible music to attract them. I was like, that is, it's ridiculous, but you know, it, it, there is a, a logic in there that holds water, at least superficially. I don't know how spiders work. <laughs> you know, right? That ending is problematic. That's true. And but I'd say it's the only thing that is problematic about this. What I really love as well is the character moments in this. I love the fact that we come home with the regulars and it's like oh goodbye and Jodie Whittaker just looks so cute when she thinks they're all just going to go off and she's going to be on her own which then leads to them making the decision and this hasn't happened very often where where they're basically saying we well, know we want to come with you we don't care how dangerous it is and then them all pulling the lever together and I think all of that stuff is nicely played um, and they have really really good chemistry all of them but throughout, you've got, uh, I think Yaz's family is very well cast and very well written. I love the mother asking Yaz and the doctor, are you two going out? And then later on asking Yaz and Ryan, are you two going out? I think she's a really, really fun character. And the sister's great as well. Um, Jodie Whittaker is, I, there's something, do you know what, going back and watching her Series 11 performances, there is, there's like um, an unrestrained joy and energy to those early performances that I'd forgotten about before things had got a bit heavy and timeless childy. And um, I think she's great in this. I think she's really, really fun. Mm. No, she does. I, I generally, don't, speaking, don't hold Jodie Whittaker at fault. I don't, uh, her doctor doesn't always frequently doesn't engage me as much as I would like the character to, but I very rarely find Whitaker at fault for that. I think she's she's clearly in just about every episode giving it everything she's got, um, and she does have a uh, energeticness that translates into nimbleness. Uh, that you know that bit where she runs into the corridor, they bump into Chris Knopf, and she goes right. I want to know exactly what's going on. And he literally sums up the whole plot. This giant spider came out of a sink and took my bodyguard, Kevin. And she's like, oh, thank you. Oh. Very succinct. Yeah. 
And I'm just going to leave you with my people and I'm going to go and deal with it. I was like, oh, I was laughing my head off. I'm like, she's just got like some comic energy about her. Yeah. Really, really like. But some of the jokes that they give her just do not land for me. Like the whole Ed Sheeran thing just... just... Fun. it's It's one of those Chris Chibnall jokes which just don't work for me. I like it when she says to the dad, oh, do you want me to go and do that while you get all of your terrible pakori <laughs> i yeah. like her, her socially inept moments yeah 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 which uh and you know i like there's stuff like you know when she arrives in the flat and she she lays it on a bit thick and then goes am i being a bit weird yeah. um and, it, and, it, and it's and it's different from because the obvious i think the obvious point of comparison is how matt smith does it um Ugh, and we have to talk about that yes we do um sorry joe uh Fine. Uh, but like the obvious point of comparison is is, is and, I, and people I think people do this a lot when they're talking down about Whitaker's performance, whereas that it's it, you know it's a zany, energetic performance that feels like it's aping the kind of Matt Smith, David Tennant kind of dynamic. Uh, but I think there is a difference between the way Jody Whitaker does the social awkwardness and Matt Smith does it. The way, Matt Smith a, does, the way that Matt Smith does the um, uh, kind of awkwardness in, in human settings is that he, I, I, I think the 11th Doctor genuinely very rarely knows he's being awkward. Whereas the 13th Doctor is, you know, she's weird and strange, but she picks up on it and she actually wants to be accepted by the people in the room, which is why she stops and checks in on uh that's why she asked am i being a bit weird because so she can modulate herself do you know what i mean i i do i think with matt smith as well i always sense there's like a bit of a world weariness just underneath all of his quirks and all of that that there's there's very much that sort of old man trapped in a young man's body yeah with whittaker there's such a glowing sense of optimism and energy and kind of youthfulness and i really like that that they kind of about they they lean on it later on when they go into the timeless child stuff but in these early episodes again and uh they've stripped back and it was deliberate in series 11 they've stripped back on the complexity they've stripped back on the heavy characterization for the most part and i think really what they're going for here is just a fun 45 minutes that anyone can step into with really likable characters i don't think there's anything wrong with that you know, I well, think I feel- sometimes that's something you should aspire to because a lot of series 11 is a bit po-faced and a bit serious. And this kind of campy bit of old tosh that's somewhere in the first third, I think is really refreshing. It's it's entertaining rather than trying to be like massively thoughtful. Sure. And I, sure. And I think I think sometimes entertaining is something you should just aspire to be. Mm-hmm. I I you mentioned um Whitaker at the beginning and then Whitaker at the end of the story. Um, oh, I meant sorry, Whitaker at the beginning of this era and the end of the era. Oh no, no, no! You mentioned this earlier when they when they arrive and then when they leave and they got all their hands. Oh the yeah, 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 yeah. Is it? See, the a part of me like I I actually really like the way Whitaker plays the arrival because um, the thing it reminds me of is you know David Tennant when he does the whole one last trip but one last trip. Um, I think that's the closest parallel you get 
except here it's you know it's it's a bit different whereas like, i i got you in danger and now i'm returning you and i and i do actually think whitaker is very fun when she's returned them but clearly doesn't want to go and she actually just wants to keep hanging out with the them. second she says do you want to have tea she's like yeah i'm coming let's go yeah yeah and which is absolutely not the doctor's area but she just leaps into it mm. I, and, I, and I, I don't know i find it slightly it doesn't bother me too much but i do find it slightly hard to round off with how hesitant how much hesitancy she puts on them choosing to come into the tardis at the end because at the beginning of the episode she clearly wants them to hang around no questions asked and then at the end of the story she's like well if you if you do this you know it's um you know you're in danger and it feels like i think that the doctor should say that more often what the doctor did in uh russell davis and matt and stephen moffat's time was like come on we're gonna go on this jolly adventure and half the time you know they're stuck in tubes pregnant and and terrible things are happening to them and they're like they got no warning about that at all (laughs) i remember um slight slight tangent but i remember um there's an interview where Stephen Moffat was talking about writing series 10 and introducing, and you, and you know how series 10 was kind of styled as a jumping on point if you hadn't seen the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, we're, and they spent the pilot, uh, Smile and Thin Ice kind of gently pushing into the, showing the, the companion, the like gentlest version of the universe before. Uh, I, I think part of the reason why he did that was like, well, you know, you could do a, a one-two punch where you do episode one and then do oxygen, but then you kind of ask yourself, why on earth would these people want to Stick keep around. staying on board? Yeah. Um, I think it's so, yeah. I think it's very responsible for her to say, do you know what? I can't guarantee you're going to make it out of this. You got to you got to make that choice. Yeah, and and so far they've all made it out of it. Mm. No, okay. I'm not going to make an argument that Iraq is in the UK is you know top 10 doctor who i'm not even sure if it's top 100 doctor who i just think it is incredibly fun to watch it is a story about massive fucking spiders that are going to come at you and you know and murder you and that's fine i think that's something that doctor who's been doing for a long time it's also peppered with gentle character moments and humor whether that humor works for you or not it's there um and finally <laughs> a massive success in chris noffis mm, really trump-esque villain mr well, robertson well well okay hang on i'm i'm, I'm gonna <laughs> take you up on this slightly because you say that this is um uh you know it's light it's fluffy it's entertainment it's bit it's a b-movie quality Mm. um you know there's some good character moments but it's just aspiring to be 45 minutes of entertaining tv Uh, Um, but also with that incredibly well realized tv sure Mm. sure sure but you've also but it is by default this came out in 2018, so in the second year of the Trump presidency, and you've got the show doing an overt Donald Trump character. I think so, it's the only time Trump's mentioned as well in a Doctor Who story. 
uh, he, I think he's alluded to in series 10. They, they, Bill makes an offhand comment where he's like, oh, I don't like the president, he's orange. But he is directly named here. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It, 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 does present, it does have the doctor literally going up against basically Donald Trump. Um, Can I ask you Which a is inherently political. Oh, it is. No, it is. Absolutely. And he, he, he is trying to say some things. I don't think he's saying them very well. That bit where he's like, why can't you be like normal people and just go around shooting things? You know, like, okay, that ain't subtle, but it's something we've all thought about Americans. Let's not be, let's be honest. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and uh, what is subtle about Lady Adastra? What well, is subtle about the Rani? Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy what is subtle about soul deed? Sure, sure. I... These, these are these are glorious Doctor Who villains, madly over the top. And and what's great about Chris Noffy's character is so many of the Chibnall villains are so fucking boring. They're so boring. They're so they're so underplayed and subtle. And what's his name in the Woman Who Fell to Earth? I can't even remember. Oh, um, uh, t- uh, uh, Tim Shaw. Tim Yawn. I can't even remember his name. Like, I'll never forget Chris Knopf, because he's, he's so over the top. The bit where he's watching his hand, and he's like, ah. <laughs> There's just nothing at all that's subtle about him. Every line of dialogue he has is utterly unrealistic and uh-huh. blissfully enjoyable because of it. I like, like, he's the sort of Doctor Who villain that I really, really love. Like, the yeah, I, I I just think he's great. I think he I think yeah. he's mm-hmm. he's there. He's a good counterpoint as well to all the others. I don't know. I think he's even better in Revolution of the Daleks. I think he's better there. I I, I yeah. They're the same thing with him. There's nothing different about him in that story. I see. I think I think there is. They 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 play a different game with him in that story where. You know, in in Arachnids in the UK, it the whole dilemma is kind of framed around. And this was this is kind of what I mean about the story kind of doing a Trump presenting us with literal basically literally Donald Trump, except in name. Um, even though he does say he is he plans on running against Donald Trump in 2020, mm. which which is a weird thing to hear when he's like, ah oh, yes, my 2020 election campaign. It's like, oh boy, you don't know what's coming. Um, but um, it, the difference between those two stories, as far as him working as a political villain, is that in in this story, it's it's very very broad. It's it's <laughs> it is it, it is. is so cartoonishly broad in that it's like. It's you know it's it's literally the most broad sketch version sketch parody version of Donald Trump you could possibly get and the whole and the whole uh, uh, scenario is built on the fact that uh, evil billionaire has a toxic waste and uh, dump under his hotel and uh, ignores it and creates the threat. That's um, a perfect B movie plot. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not denying that, but the but there's a different. But there is a difference in how he's used later in uh, uh, Revolution of the Daleks, where he is actively funding um, the, the the creation of a new uh, of a new sub race of Daleks. He's actively yes. involved in the conspiracy making. But he um, is played and written just as broad. 
when he goes down to negotiate with the Daleks on the bridge or at the end where he's like, um, she's like, oh, you'll never recover from this. And it cuts to him being um, interviewed going, you know, I gave myself up as a sacrifice to the Daleks. Yeah, like, yeah. He's he's ridiculous. And you're right. He's a massive cartoon character. And that's why I love him. I see. I. Uh... Like I wouldn't mind the character so much if he wasn't such an overt, political, overtly political character because it doesn't feel like he's a vehicle to say anything. At least in this story, he doesn't feel like he's a vehicle to make a point in the. Because if Russ say, if, uh, you know, always a dangerous sentence to start with. If Russell T Davis had written Arachnids in the UK, and if he was writing Mr. Robertson, he would almost certainly be taking a very particular angle. Yeah. On this character. And he would, oh, yeah. and he would basically Chibble's just saying Trump's an arsehole. This guy yeah. is Trump. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Um but, Do you know uh, what? Then... We we hate we hate Trump and we hate Robertson. And there you go, case closed. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> I I I, I, I a bit of a curveball question for mm. you, Ben. Because the only character of uh, I guess of the because Doctor Who, definitely in the new series, has done, you know, Tony Blair is literally killed and hung in a cupboard. Um, and it's it's done a few other kind of political... Raining bombs on the earth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as villains who are overtly designed to... Par and, I, and I bring this up because you mentioned broadness of performances. I'm just kind of curious to see what you'd say. The, uh, the, the character I can... The only character I can think of that is as close... Of an, is, is as close to Robertson in design is Helen A in the Happiness Patrol, where she is an overt Margaret Thatcher parody. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to see do you th how you think those characters sit. Sheila Hancock's giving a more thoughtful performance than mm -hmm. uh, Chris North in this, for sure. And there are subtleties in that performance and there are moments of sentiment and it, that's that's a character like this uh -huh. this is a caricature right this is a, a a guest appearance by guest not uh chris north chris north as say? playing a horrendous donald trump <laughs> character yeah. mr big if he was donald trump i don't know like i know people find him agonizing i think he's hilarious that bit where he comes out of the room and goes my god they got kevin <laughs> he's just so appalling he's so there's no redeeming features about him at all he's horrible yeah. to everybody and the what's the ultimate thing you can do with a, a character like that who we all want to die is that's the one that survives twice over yeah and my, my everlasting shame is it going to be that there's just not going to be time for robertson in the centenary special i doubt he yeah. may turn up. I, I mean, I'd love it if he did. If he turned up just for like a death scene to be killed by the master, I, that would be amazing. Oh, uh, there is. I mean, I'm not sure if you've kept up with the news. There have been a lot of uh, sexual assault allegations that have come up around Chris oh, Noth quite recently. God. So I doubt. Immune, are they? I so I I doubt um, uh, he will appear directly. But you never know. He, um, they might make a. You know, you know, you know, they might do. You remember at the time of the Doctor where they solved the whole Madame Kavarian plotline in like one line? Maybe yeah. they'll do that with Mr. Robertson. It's like, oh, he ran for election and he lost. 
<laughs> I could just pull him out of his pocket and go. Yeah, that's right. This man Mr. gave you a bit of trouble, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, look, it's Mr. Big. <laughs> and he's tiny. Huh? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what else I can say about Arachnids. <coughs> is that as a whole, it's not making big waves. It's, it's not going to be one that people champion a lot. I think scene to scene, it's really, really, really enjoyable to watch. And I think I, I just think it's incredibly it's skillfully executed and well, it is it is written to entertain and uh -huh. and that is that is a, a good enough motive for an episode of television. And I think in season eleven like think about season eleven as a whole, you know, it's making political statements, isn't it? It's yeah. It's taken us to India and America and I don't know. It's homespun. It's really, really stupid. A bit like the Time Monster. Um, <laughs> and it's just incredibly fun to watch. I it, it I mean, it does, I suppose, stand out in a series where... Uh, I think and the whole Whitaker era does this, but series 11 especially, where it is shot it because they they upgrade the cameras for series 11 mm. um but and but it is very specifically it looks like it's being shot in the style of prestige drama um uh you know the color palette is muted uh is a bit more muted than it has been in, in recent years and the the camera work is all very slick and very professional and it feels like it's being shot like a a, a, a proper bbc drama um uh, and so i i do think the story stands out in that respect as something that is kind of overtly camp in its sensibilities and it's kind of middling aspirations of just yeah we're just we're just gonna throw spiders at you this week and just a few and a few other things as well maybe you'll like them maybe you won't but uh, within, within that aspiration to just throw spiders at you this week it does it brilliantly brilliantly yeah. it executes it brilliantly he writes it brilliantly those spiders are chilling as fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I, sorry, I thought i thought you had more to say i thought no you no, no 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 um, i just I, uh, i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna fault the the look of the spiders or how they appear it has it has weirdly enough you know we all have our own little personal hang-ups about things that go unresolved in each era of Doctor Who. Mm. Um, uh, for me, it has always been the fact that there's a th there's a giant spider in someone's apartment that is being held back by a thin line of vinegar. Is it and vinegar garlic paste? paste? Yeah, yeah, garlic paste. And it's just like, and they never they they never they never go back to sort out that the one giant spider left in the UK um it's like for me like uh, you know in the back of my head you can kind of go you can kind of head cannon it away and go like oh of course the doctor swung by and picked up the spider or did something with the spider but i'm just like there's a giant spider in somebody's house jack chris chibnall wiped out most of the universe in the flux season and didn't tie that up you're worried about one spider yes of course i'm <laughs> worried about one spider and anyway, you remember you said earlier about Jodie Whittaker's doctor using inhumane means. I mean, she wipes out three armies at the end of that season. 
That's right. But she spared one spider. And then she takes a piss out of the fact that she did it in Eve of the Daleks. We're here to, to stop you with crimes against the Daleks. Oh, which one? She says. Hmm. Oh. Well, let it let it be said that Jodie Whittaker is uh, the thirteenth Doctor is the most joyful and most hopeful and most optimistic Doctor of them all, and the only one to have committed three genocides at the same time. <laughs> yes, she's a regular ball of sunshine, and she'll murder right. you without hesitation. That's right. That's right. I'm just, maybe they should just replace the Sonic Screwdriver with an actual gun at this point. Uh, Look. Okay, okay, so we've made our cases for our two episodes. We both uh-huh. know the Time Monster's going to win when I put this poll uh-huh. out. Because <laughs> no one likes Arachnids in the UK. Whereas I think Time Monster's one of those stories that people have got a grudge. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say that. What if everybody's like, I like neither of these stories and then just refuse to vote at all. So we just get zero. <laughs> well, we'll Nobody wants out, to we? the ring. We'll find out. Um, Jack... Mm-hmm. Um, where are we heading next for episode two? I I, I genuinely have no idea. Um, I've got the know? list in front of me here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then why why did you ask me? Well, should I just should I just say something randomly? We've got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Well, we've done classic and we've done new here, so it could be either directions. And my decision is we are going to cover the work of. Jamie Matheson. Oh, so we're looking at that's 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 uh, Mummy, Flatline, uh, Girl Who Died, and Oxygen. Yeah, Oxygen. I think four triumphant episodes. I I wouldn't argue with that. Um, certainly, I think amongst fans, you've got three really well liked episodes, and then one where every, people tend to be like. <sighs> Which, well, we'll cover, which we'll cover a little less because we did cover that in another episode, didn't we? The We did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll have fresh thoughts about that. But certainly Mummy, Flatline and Oxygen, there is a world of things to talk about. Because I know Flatline is... Would you say Flatline is your favourite Capaldi story? It's top three. Mm. For sure. Well, then, But yeah, I think yeah. Mummy's gone up in my estimation and that was probably top five. And oxygen yeah. is just outside the top five, so they're all top ten, I think. Yeah, they're all they're all they're all really great stories. Yeah, what a what a what a good choice. Yeah, no, <laughs> let's do the stories of Jamie Matheson. Wow, I, we haven't done this for a while, and I'm not sure yeah. you and I are still capable of it. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, I hear it's like it, riding it, a bicycle. That's right. I, I, I was going to say because we can't do it, we just keep recording indefinitely. Um, you know, we never we 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 put out a five hour podcast, which we've nearly done in the yeah, past. We've done twice actually. <laughs> God, who 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 wants to listen to us? Well, I don't know, but those are well listened to episodes. So somebody. All right. Well, shall I shall I count us down again? Yeah, I'm just going to say though no, before we do, it is a delight oh, to be back. Oh no, it is. This has been very fun. Um, I I. Yeah, I've missed this. Um, I thought you were about to say, I thought you were about to say when I was like, should I count us down? It's like, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone I right. trust to leave with, alone with a microphone issue? Uh, well, on that note, a three, a two, a one, the nine the will be, be praised. All right. We've still got it. Hey, ain't we just? Catch you next time. 
Until next time.